We are continuing a series uh, through the spiritual gifts. You heard our uh, core passage just a few minutes ago from Sharon in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And we started talking about spiritual gifts. And and I've just got to tell you, today we are talking about uh, two spiritual gifts. We're going to cover two as as really as quickly as we possibly can uh, that I think are oh my goodness, so needed, especially after what we just talked about and what's going on in our world right now. We really, really need these two particular spiritual gifts. Uh, Today, we are going to put our focus of the nine that we will cover during this series on the spiritual gifts of words of wisdom and words of knowledge. Can you agree we desperately need wisdom and kingdom knowledge in the world uh, that we live in today? So my goal today is to give you uh, what will feel a little bit like a teaching. I'm going to try to fly through some content so you can have uh, an understanding of what words of wisdom and words of knowledge are. And then I, I want to just give you some practical ways that you can engage in these spiritual gifts. While we're constantly, throughout all of this series, we're constantly going to be reminding you as often as we can, there's a spiritual gift assessment that you can take, but all of that uh, doesn't really matter if you're not a follower of Jesus and you aren't filled with his Holy Spirit. So these gifts are given to people who are followers of Jesus, who are filled with the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit gives these these gifts to his church as he sees fit, so that you can be a gift in the world. So with all of that said, uh, we're going to look at each one of these gifts individually, then we'll talk about how we engage with them together, because they often are kind of like sister gifts. They they very often are partnered together. We'll begin with words of knowledge. So let's let's take a step back, and if we're going to talk about words of knowledge, what is knowledge? This probably shouldn't take a whole lot of time, but uh, you kind of know what knowledge is, right? The the definition, if you looked in the dictionary of, of the word knowledge, is facts, information, and skills acquired by a person through experience or education, or what is known in a particular field or in total, uh, facts and information. So to know something, you might say, is to possess the truth about that thing, right? Knowledge is a thing that you can possess or it's a thing that you can gain, but also it's not limited to what you know. In other words, knowledge can exist whether you possess it or not. I'll give you an example. Uh, I don't possess the knowledge to tell you what is the square root of 7 billion. I actually thought of texting a guy in our church last night who I thought, I bet I know who does possess that knowledge, though. Because that's the point. Just because I don't possess that knowledge doesn't mean that Jason Dewick probably does possess that knowledge. (laughs) Right? So it doesn't mean that it's not true or that that knowledge doesn't exist just because I don't have it. Knowledge is bigger than me, but I can gain it or grow in knowledge or in my understanding. So we don't possess all the knowledge. Why? Because we are limited. Your brain is puny compared to God who actually does possess all knowledge. Consider what the Bible says about God's knowledge. In Psalm 147 verse 5, it says, Our Lord is great and so strong, God's knowledge can't be grasped. Matthew 10.30, Jesus says, But even the hairs of your head have all been counted, which we admit is easier for some of us than others. But 1 John 3.20 says, God is greater than our feelings. <laughs> Amen. We just need to hear that. I wasn't going to include that part, but we just really need to hear that. Let me read it to you again. God is greater than our feelings, and he knows everything. So the foundation of all knowledge is God's word. Because God is the origin of all truth. And he's revealed knowledge and truth to us in his word. So when we want or when we need knowledge, the place we should start to go to to find what is most true is God's word. Everything that fails to agree with God's word should be counted as something that is less than true. However, you will not discover all knowledge that is to be known in the Bible. The question is, does it agree with the Bible, even if I didn't find it in the Bible? I'll give you an example about that. My sister-in-law, Cheryl, is a nurse. To become a nurse, she did not just sit down and read the Bible. She went to nursing school. 
where they gave her knowledge about how to be a nurse. And then she continues to grow in her knowledge while she's practicing medicine or on the job. She continues to gain more knowledge. The, the point here is that while all truth is rooted in God, not all knowledge is found in God's word. Although, again, if it doesn't agree with God's word, it is not true. It's important as we're trying to understand knowledge and ultimately as we try to understand wisdom in just a little bit. Now, you've probably found yourselves in, in moments where uh, you needed knowledge, right? You searched the scriptures because you're a good Christian. That was the first place you went. And you read some other books that were based on scripture and then maybe you read some other books that were a little less loosely based on scripture and you've done all of the research. You asked your friends and you even Googled it. And you still didn't, still didn't need, know what you needed to know. We've all been in that situation, right? This is actually one of the places where the gift of words of knowledge would come into play. Now, in, in their book, Positioned for the Gifts, John Stott and Bob Hunt, who are Foursquare leaders in our denomination, they define words of knowledge as a supernatural revelation of knowledge, not acquired through natural means. Usually it's a fragment of information given by God for a person or for a situation. It is truth that the Holy Spirit wants revealed to produce a desired result. So God doesn't give a word of knowledge just so that you're smarter. There's something beyond you having the knowledge. Maybe we're supposed to do something with that knowledge. So a person has received a word of knowledge when the Holy Spirit empowers them to know something about a person or a situation that they otherwise should not know. Usually this is a current situation or something that has happened in the past uh, that they otherwise could not possibly know. And there's plenty of examples throughout Scripture about words of knowledge. We'll look at just a couple of them today. So, uh, for example, we can see words of knowledge in the Gospel of John. And we can even see the purpose of words of knowledge here as being something that reveals a general sense about a person's character. There was this moment where Jesus was gathering all of his disciples together for his public ministry. He calls this guy named Philip. He says, come and follow me. Philip gets so excited. He thinks about his friend named Nathaniel, and he goes over to Nathaniel. He's like, I met this guy. I'm pretty sure he's the Messiah. You should come and follow him. And Nathaniel's response to Philip is, can anything good come out of Nazareth? I mean, did you put that Lancaster? Can anything good come out of... Philip, so excited about Jesus, so he says, come and see. Then Jesus saw Nathaniel, so Nathaniel's kind of like, fine, I'll go see this guy that comes from Podunk Town, wherever. Jesus sees Nathaniel coming, and he said about him, here truly is an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. How do you know me? Nathaniel asked. Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Jesus answered, Rabbi, Nathaniel replied. All of a sudden, his tune has changed. You are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. And then it goes on. There's a really good response there. But we can see that the word of knowledge revealed something about Nathaniel's character to Jesus. There was knowledge that Jesus had. We can see the words of knowledge reveal specific facts about a person's life. Later, Jesus was walking through Samaria. He's tired. He sits down on the side of a well, and the disciples go, and they find some food. And while he's gone, this woman comes, and she's going to draw water from the well, and Jesus says, give me a drink. They have a really interesting conversation about water and, and how Jesus has water that will give eternal life. You'll never have to be thirsty again. She says, I'd love for some of that water. And Jesus says, call your husband in John chapter 4. He says, call your husband and come back here. I don't have a husband, she answered. Listen to how Jesus' response goes. You have said correctly, I don't have a husband. For you've had five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. And the woman responds, sir, I see that you are a prophet. After they talked some more, by the way, in verse 28, it says, Then the woman left the jar, went into town, told the people, Come and see the man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? So the word of knowledge revealed details about this woman's life. 
Third example is that words of knowledge, we see that they reveal specific events, uh, facts, details about specific events. And in the build-up to this moment that we call Palm Sunday, in the triumphal entry, there's this word of knowledge moment that Jesus has in Luke chapter 19. It says, as he approached Bethphage and Bethany at the place called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples and he said, go into the village ahead of you. As you enter it, you will find a colt tied there on which no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? Say this, the Lord needs it. So those who were sent left and found it just as he had told them. He had a word of knowledge. So the word of knowledge reveals details about a donkey that Jesus rides into Jerusalem. And I actually love this story because it seems insignificant, yet it carries this really important uh, weight in the story of Jesus. And, And I want you to notice that all of these moments of or expressions of the word of knowledge, they each carry a common purpose in the story. Certainly, words of knowledge are not simply meant to impress people, but the response tells us what these moments are actually for. Words of knowledge are intended to produce belief in and then praise of God. Even the story of the donkey seems inconsequential, and yet this is the animal that Jesus rides in and is praised as the king of kings. In our church, my friend Marcus has this gift, word, the word of knowledge. He, he practices this gift. I see him talking with people, and, and just all of a sudden he'll say something about them. In fact, he was just telling me a story just this morning about a guy that he was talking to, and he said, I had a word for him, and I told him this thing, and he goes, how did you know? That's exactly what I needed to hear. And then he was able to minister the love of Jesus to this man. That's so, a, a word of knowledge. Marcus uses this gift not just to impress people, but to demonstrate the power and the love of God that is for people. This is the purpose of the words of knowledge. And they can be incredibly practical. I don't have a ton of time to tell this story. I've told this story before in the church, but I've told a story before about a time where I had been late for work and I couldn't find my car keys. And I called my mommy, who's sitting right here on the front row today, I said, Mom, pray with me. I can't find my car keys. I'm going to be late for work. And so she prayed with me. And then when she said amen, she said, look under the driver's seat of the car. I said, Mom, I've already looked there. She said, I'm telling you, I just feel like you really need to look under the driver's seat of the car. And I looked under the driver's seat of the car, and there were my car keys. I promise you I had looked. I promise. So either... Either God gave... I don't know why God gave that word to my mom. Maybe it was because I'm a dummy maybe it's because they weren't genuinely there and then they were there all of a sudden. It was super miraculous. Or maybe God just gave me the ability to see something that I couldn't see. I don't know all of the details of how it happened. I just know that it did. And it's super practical because I wasn't late to work that day. Amen. It's interesting how God cares about even the little things. And words of knowledge can be profound and lead us to salvation, or they can be simple and practical and just be a reminder that God sees us and loves us in every moment of our lives. So words of knowledge, again, are moments of supernatural revelation of knowledge, not acquired through natural means, given by God for a person or a situation to produce a desired result. It's a long, long definition to say. It's when God tells you something that you shouldn't know for a reason. So now we've talked a little bit about words of knowledge. You know a little bit about what they are. Let's define this next gift today, words of wisdom. So wisdom is distinctly different than knowledge. We kind of have an idea that wisdom is different than knowledge, but... but it's hard to kind of parse that out without really looking into it a little bit. Uh, I, I think to start, we have to say that wisdom builds on knowledge. I don't think you get wisdom without the foundation of knowledge. Remember who actually possesses or has built up the foundation of knowledge? It's always God, right? So it takes... It might take a little bit less time, but let's actually explain it. If you look at the dictionary definition of, of the word wise... The word wise is defined as uh, to have or show deep understanding and intelligent application of knowledge or to be, a, to be suitable for bringing about a desired result under the circumstances. 
And then the definition of the word wisdom is a wise attitude, belief, or course of action. There's a book called Answers on Spirit or Questions and Answers on Spiritual Gifts by Howard Carter, and he wrote a definition for the gift of word of wisdom. He he wrote the word of wisdom might be defined as a supernatural revelation of the mind and purpose of God. So you can see how that's different than just knowing facts. It's communicated by the Holy Spirit. It is God's wisdom imparted to man. He goes on to write, when the Lord specifically reveals his purpose to an individual, that person possesses a word of God's wisdom. So it's not just facts, it's purpose. David Lim wrote in his book on spiritual gifts, all true words of wisdom will reflect God's plan, purpose, and ways to accomplish things. Just listen to that again. All the true words of wisdom, if it's truly a, 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 a word of wisdom as a gift of the Spirit, it will reflect God's plans, his purpose, and his ways to accomplish things. So you might say if knowing or knowledge is about knowing what is true, then wisdom is about knowing what to do. So remember, though, we're not just talking about wisdom in a general sense. We're not talking about the world's wisdom. We're studying the spiritual gift of words of wisdom. This means that we're drawing a line between wisdom that you can gain by effort and wisdom that comes directly from God. So I remember I had a mentor of mine who was on the phone with him one time, and he goes, Tim, let me tell you, you're not a wise person. And I said, what a compliment. And he said, do you want me to tell you why I told you that you're not a wise person? I was in my late 20s at the time, maybe early 30s, and, and he said, you're not a wise person, but you are smart. You've got a lot of knowledge. You know stuff. You've been to Bible college twice. At that time, I had a master's degree in strategic leadership. He's able to say, you've read a lot of books. He said, knowledge, he said, picture, picture a, a, a seesaw. You know the thing where you sit on one side and your buddy sits on the other side and, and, and you just go back and forth like this until they decide to get off when they're at the bottom and you're at the top? And it, Yeah, my brother used to do that to me all the time. But that thing, he said, picture one of those. He said, what happens in the journey of a young person who's following Christ is they gain a lot of knowledge. They read the word and that's good. And they read books, and they listen to sermons, and they take in wise counsel, and all of that adds knowledge to the the information, facts, stuff that you've read to one side of the seesaw. And that's how you can become a person of knowledge, a, a smart person. And he said, you're one of those. He said, what gets added onto this side, on the wisdom side, is experiences you have personally had with God that affirm or or deconstruct what you put on this knowledge side of the seesaw. And he said, you're just too young to have enough experiences with God that it outweighs the knowledge side. Now, I'm going to tell you right now, I don't think that that's actually a full and complete demonstration. It's like trying to define the Trinity. At a certain point, all of our metaphors break down. But man, did it really help me understand the difference between knowledge and wisdom. Knowledge is something I can know as a fact. Wisdom is something I have experienced or I can communicate from my journey. It's something that I know deeper than what I know here in my brain. Right? So they're different. But again, we're not just talking about the ability to have a life of experience with God. We're talking about the moments when my life of experience with God falls short and I need something greater than the wisdom I have earned or gained by going to college a few times. I need supernatural impartation, a gift of wisdom. Okay, let me give you some biblical examples so I'm not just talking just out of my own brain here. There are at least two helpful, there's a ton, but I'll just give you two for sake of time. Two helpful biblical examples. Number one, in the Gospel of Matthew, in chapter two, Joseph, you, you know Joseph, he was the guy who was uh, designated to be an adoptive father for the Son of God. No pressure. 
Joseph was given a word of wisdom shortly after Jesus was born. In Matthew chapter 2, starting in verse 13, it says, An angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream, saying, Get up, take the child and his mother, flee to Egypt, and and stay there until I tell you, for Herod is about to search for the child and and kill him. So he got up, he took the child and his mother during the night, and escaped to Egypt. Now, the reason that you can say that this is a word of wisdom is because there was a purpose and a response. There was marching orders directly tied to it. And what was the result? Jesus lived. This is a good word of wisdom, right? Something to do that results in life. Another example, later on in the New Testament, in the book of Acts in chapter 4, Peter is given a word of wisdom. There's this criticism that's happening about the ministry that was, that was going on uh, in this moment. It says in Acts chapter 4, and I love the way this story begins. It says, Peter was filled with the Holy Spirit, and he said to them. This, so we're automatically saying, this is not Peter just stood up and talked wisely about a situation. Notice who gets the credit for this. Peter becomes the vessel for the word of wisdom, and we see that right at the beginning, because Peter was filled with the Holy Spirit, and he said to them, rulers of the people and elders, if we're being examined today about a good deed done to a disabled man, by what means he was healed, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified and whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing here before you healthy. This Jesus is the stone rejected by you builders, which has become the cornerstone. There is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to the people by which we must be saved. I love that this word of wisdom wasn't just, Peter was filled with righteous indignation and he said, hey, back off. He was filled with the Holy Spirit. And what was the result? He preached the gospel. And then I'm just going to include verse 13 because I love the way this story ends. It said, when they observed the boldness of Peter and John and realized that they were uneducated and untrained men, they were amazed and recognized that they had been with Jesus. Again, it starts by saying, who gets the credit for this word of wisdom? It's the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit filled this man to speak these profound words. And he, he didn't respond by defending himself. He pointed to Jesus and said, this is the most important thing to say. This is the wisdom in the moment. And the story ends by affirming this definitely was not Peter. He was not wise or smart enough. He was an uneducated and untrained man. He certainly did not go to seminary. Fishermen don't know how to talk like this. This man has been with Jesus. So he was given the ability to say something that he should not have been able to communicate. That he, he didn't have it within himself to share this kind of wisdom. It was because of the Holy Spirit. So I, I would sum all of this up to say that words of wisdom are given, number one, to warn God's people about spiritual or physical danger. Number two, to reveal God's will for specific situations. Three, to direct God's people to specific action. And four, to build faith in God. You might be able to come up with a different list or maybe more reasons why words of wisdom are given. But from the couple of examples I've given you there, we can already begin to see words of wisdom are profound and really helpful in the life of the believer, in in the building of the church. I think it's probably also clear here, but I, I want to say it clearly, that words of wisdom and words of knowledge often partner together. In fact, you might have thought more than once in some of the examples that I shared with you today, well, I could see how that word of knowledge that Tim referenced could also be a word of wisdom or maybe the other way around. And if you thought that, you're probably right. These gifts very often partner together. In fact, I was just talking to Marcus this morning about this message, and he was saying, isn't it interesting how words of wisdom and words of knowledge often are actually things that set the table for the spiritual gift of prophecy? Right? 
And so all of these gifts really can partner together. And isn't it interesting how the gifts partner together almost like a body would function in unity together. And these gifts are given in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 in the context of a passage of Scripture where Paul is talking about how believers who are gifted different gifts are like a body and we're supposed to all function together in unity. It's the gifts that help us to function like the body as a unified body. And so, of course, the gifts blend together. Of course they do. Words of knowledge are specific pieces of information that God wants people to know. And then words of wisdom are insights and instructions about how we should respond to specific situations. So we can see that these are good, they're helpful, they're valuable. We should want these gifts to function in the church. Now can we begin to make this practical so we can see a little bit about how this should function in our lives? We've studied it through Scripture. Let's make this thing practical. Let me start by giving you two general rules about these gifts. These these rules should be like, of course, but they bear saying for posterity so that we can say that we've said the truth. Number one, a general rule about these two gifts is that all words must agree with Scripture. God will never disagree with himself. Anything that does not agree with Scripture is not a word from God. Amen? Amen. So all words must agree with Scripture. So if someone says, Pastor Tim, I've I've got a word. God said, I I just am now aware, I have this knowledge God said that there are people at Life Church that he's just not interested in saving because their sin is just too great. Nope. It can't possibly be a word from God. That doesn't agree with Scripture, right? And of course, you can understand why that doesn't agree with Scripture. So that's rule number one. Rule number two, all legitimate expressions of this gift will be for, as Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, for the common good. Or in the New Living Translation, it says, to help each other. So if the only person being built up by a word is the person giving the word, there's a really good chance that that word is given by that person's flesh and not through that person by the Holy Spirit. Because who does the gift of the word of knowledge and the word of wisdom build up? The common good. It builds us up. Not just one person person, but it should make the church better in unity. Amen? All right, so a couple of rules there. Now let's talk even more practical. Let's answer the question that's probably going to roll around in all of our minds. If we walk out of here, if we ended this sermon today right here, this is the question that we should all be asking. How do we actually engage in these gifts? And so we want to talk a little bit about the, the giving of these gifts and the, also the receiving of these gifts. We're going to make this very, very practical. But before, first, before we say anything about how to actually engage in these gifts, let's just say this one more time. We said this last week. We'll say it again today. We have to remember this is a spiritual gift, not just a natural ability. So again, if, if, if you're not a spirit-filled disciple of Jesus, follower of Jesus, then you certainly can gain knowledge and wisdom. You might be one of the smartest people we've ever met. But if you're not a follower of Jesus who is filled with his Holy Spirit, then you cannot possibly function in the gift of wis- words of wisdom and words of knowledge. Yet, it would be possible. We could, would love to lead you through the roadmap for how that is possible. And then it would be up to the Holy Spirit to give you this gift because he gives these gifts as he sees fit. So we understand that not everyone in this room will necessarily have or function in the gifts of words of wisdom or words of knowledge. But remember, we are the body of Christ. So you might have the gifts of words of knowledge, like my friend Marcus does. I don't function very often in words of knowledge. Interesting, though, I do have a ton of knowledge. Uh, I, like a ton, like sometimes my wife says, too much. I graduated college three times. Like, I'm a doctor of the church. I've got a lot of books on my shelf. Some of them I didn't read. But a lot of them I did. Most of. Most of a lot of them I read. But I've got a lot of knowledge. I know things. 
But just because I know stuff, and I could be in a conversation with a person who needs knowledge, and I might be able to go, oh, you know, there's a verse in the Bible that would speak to that. Really, Or there's a principle in the kingdom I just know about. That's different than a moment where I'm like downloaded knowledge about a thing or a person. That's different. My friend Marcus functions highly in that. I actually have the gift of wisdom, and I function in this a ton. If, if you've ever sat in the two cha- one of the two chairs in my office and just told me about a situation in your life, there's probably been a moment where we're talking, and then all of a sudden there's just this wisdom, this like, here's what you should do. And, I just, and I'll usually frame it in the sense of, I feel like maybe God would be saying to you this. That's an expression of the word of wisdom coming through my life. Now, I think I'm a little bit more wise now than when I was on the phone with that mentor who told me you're not a wise person. I think that I probably am. And there's actually a a couple of people in this church who I've shared that illustration with, and they go, Pastor Tim, you're so much more wise than you give yourself credit for. And I've just come come to terms with the fact that maybe I'm gaining wisdom, but what I've really settled in my heart is that this is a gift God has given me. And I'm just so thankful for the gift of words of wisdom. That doesn't mean that everything I ever say, especially not when I'm holding a mic or talking to you over a cup of coffee, not everything I say is the word of the Lord. No, definitely not. Please don't put that expectation on me. I will fail you so often. But I do know that I have this gift, and I know that my friend Marcus, as one example among many, has the gift of knowledge. So again, we are talking about the supernatural gift, and we should want these gifts in the church. Now again, for, uh, for clarity, both words of wisdom and words of knowledge come directly from the Holy Spirit for specific situations. I know I've said that like 30 times already today, but I really, really want to make sure that we know the distinction between general knowledge and wisdom and the gifts of words of wisdom and knowledge. So, pro tip number one, just let's make this super practical. If you find yourself in need of wisdom or knowledge and you have extended your ability to gain it and you just are in a situation, I need to know what God would say about this situation. Here's the beautiful thing about the kingdom. If you have need, ask. This is what Jesus teaches us. He says, if you have any need, just ask. Of course, your God, who is a good father, would give you what you ask for. And he wouldn't give you a stone if you ask for bread. In fact, that's exactly what Jesus says. If you as dads or as parents would give good things to your kids, how much more will God give what you need when you ask? So ask. God, I need a word of knowledge right now. I need to know what I don't know. I need a word of wisdom. I need to know what to do. I don't know what to do. Give me a word of wisdom. And can I tell you that God will answer that prayer? He might answer it by giving you directly a word of wisdom or a word of knowledge. Or he might use the body of Christ and send somebody who has a word of knowledge or a word of wisdom for you to say what you need. He'll give you the gift, even if it's indirectly. And and words of wisdom and words of knowledge are given through moments like this. People have dreams. A dream is something that God allows you to see while you're asleep. People have visions. They receive words of wisdom and words of knowledge through visions, which is a dream that happens while you're still awake. I I, I don't want to over-spiritualize that. That's what it is. Someone said, I had a vision. They had a dream. They were awake for. And then this one, I I didn't even know what to call this, so I just made a list of things that we call it. It comes through Holy Spirit whispers or nudges or downloads. I don't know if you've ever heard anybody say things like, I just feel like God is speaking to me right now. This is probably what they're talking about. Just all of a sudden, they just know something that they didn't know or they... People say, I heard God say, can I just tell you right off the bat, like 99.9% of people who have told me, I heard God say, didn't actually hear anything audibly. But that doesn't mean that they didn't hear God. Right? It's just saying, I, I, just, I think that's important because I had a conversation with a guy once who's like, oh, I just don't know about this prophecy stuff because people didn't actually audibly hear God and then they say that they heard God. They didn't actually hear God, therefore prophecy's not real. I'm like, that is a leap. 
That's quite a jump. Just because you don't like the semantics of it doesn't mean it's not real. So if you hear someone say, God spoke to me, or God downloaded to me, or, or I, 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 however you say it, I heard the whisper of the Holy Spirit in my, in my spiritual ears. I don't care how you say it. Uh, this is, I literally, if you have a better name for this one, tell me after the service. I just didn't know what to say, but this is, there's a list of all the ways that we explain it, and that's what happens when all of a sudden God just, you know, gives you knowledge or wisdom. He speaks it to you, even if not audibly. By the way, I know some people who've said, I've heard the audible voice of God, who I also don't think are crazy. So I think God probably also uses that method too. The point of all of that is that these words of wisdom and words of knowledge come in all kinds of ways, but what, what must be the same about all of them? They must all agree with God's word. They must build up the body of Christ. Amen? So, if you believe you've been given a word of wisdom or knowledge, like God has given you a word through a vision, a dream, or one of those Holy Spirit nudges or whispers, here's, here are five steps that you should take to respond. Number one, pray. Come on. I mean, right? Pray. Talk to God. Ask God. You can take as much time or as little time as you need, but pray asking God to confirm that he has given you this word. This gets easier to do over time because over time you learn to be familiar with the way God communicates to you, right? Number two, seek confirmation in scripture and from trusted mentors and friends. If you can go find it in Scripture, does this agree with God's Word? And if you can't find it in Scripture, go to a person that you trust that knows the Word and say, does this agree with God's Word? Seek confirmation. Seek that it's actually something that God would say. Number three, obey. Obey. Obey whatever it is that God is telling you to do with whatever it is that He told you. Ask God to tell you, what should I do with what I've heard or what I've received? Now, can I just be clear? Not every word that you hear is for somebody else. There are plenty of times, and I love these moments, when people come to me and they say, I think I have a word for the church, and they tell me what the word is, and I go, I think that's actually a word for you. And then they go, yeah. Yeah, you're probably right. That's a word for me. Not everything that God will ever say to you is actually meant to be a word through you. But just because a lot of words will be for you doesn't mean that God won't also give you words that are meant to be shared. And so if God tells you to share, every word must be obeyed, even if not every word must be shared. So you have to know that you will almost never get a word of wisdom or knowledge that has to be shared with everybody. This is why I strongly, strongly encourage you never to do the prophecy business on social media. It's just, it's not a good crowd. It's, it, there's a whole verse where Jesus says, don't throw your pearls before swine. It's just, there's, there's a million reasons why it's just not a, it's not a good look. It doesn't, it doesn't end well. And usually you're sharing a word that was meant for a specific audience in a general audience or a general setting. And it doesn't end up actually getting to the ears that need to hear it. And so keep this in mind. If God leads you to share the word, share the word. Obey. But share in the context and in the way that he has told you to do it. So don't stop obeying at, Bleh! God said something, right? Share in the way he told you. Okay, number four is really, really important to me. Don't be weird. Pentecostal people can be so weird. We can, we can be so weird. Can you just get comfortable submitting words to people instead of declaring words over people? Do you know the subtle difference? It's the subtle difference of, of saying, I think I have a word for you. Or, I felt as if God was telling me to tell you this. Does that resonate with your spirit? As opposed to, thus saith the Lord. Look, if God told you to say it exactly that way, obey. I'm just saying he usually doesn't. Let's just not be weirdos, right? Don't be weird. Why? Because the prophecy is meant to point to Jesus, 
not to turn people off from Jesus. And if his representatives, who are his hands and feet and his voice in the world, are weird, we can be strange. There's a difference between strange and weird. Right? And if we end up turning people away from Jesus because they go, maybe that word was half good, but ugh, then we've actually done a disservice to the kingdom of heaven. Okay? If you want to talk about the difference between strange and weird, buy me a cup of coffee. We'll talk about all the nuances of how you're probably a weirdo. And, <laughs> and I'll tell you some stories about times where I've been one too. Fifth one, even more important, never uncover people. 1 Peter 4, 8 says, love covers all kinds of sin. Here is the rule. Never use a word of knowledge or wisdom to uncover, to embarrass, to gossip about, or to ridicule anyone. You do not have that permission. So a good rule of thumb, don't share someone else's story without their permission. The Bible calls that gossip. Gossip is defined in the Bible as a sin. Another good rule of thumb is if you are given a word of knowledge about a sin issue that a person is struggling with. So you're like, you're, I've seen this happen. Marcus, I'm pointing right here because he usually sits right here. He's out serving kids today. Um, Marcus will get a word of knowledge. He knows something about a person. And sometimes it has to do with an area of brokenness or weakness in that person's life. And I've watched Marcus be, turn on the sensitivity. His, he turns on his humanity and he says, can I share something with you that might be sensitive? Or can I have permission to say something to you that might be a little bit challenging to hear? And then he'll also make sure, I've watched him, and he's such an expert. He's been doing it a year, for years. You almost don't even notice that he does it unless you're paying attention. He will know, is this a word that everyone around, whoever hears it can hear or does this need to be in a safe private more secluded moment right and by the way i mean marcus like one time pulled a person up on stage and gave them a prof a prophetic word in front of all y'all and that was good because that was appropriate in that moment there was something else that god was also doing in the church so you have to know the difference but you never have permission to uncover if the word you give to someone produces shame rather than leading them to jesus you're just doing it wrong i'm not saying you didn't hear the word i'm saying your delivery actually turned into abuse so be careful steward what god tells you don't use it against people use it for people's good and what is the ultimate good? That they fall more in love with Jesus. Right? Okay, now, if someone comes to you with a word, like someone says, I, I think I have a word for you, and it's a, maybe they probably won't tell you. I've almost never heard somebody come up to me and say, I've got a word. It's specifically a word of wisdom. They'll just say, I feel like God's saying something to you. Right? So if you're in a position where you're, you're having to figure out, do I receive this word? Do I agree? Do I let this word into my life? Here are three questions you can ask. We're almost done. But these are three important questions that you can ask to help you determine if a word is genuinely from God. Number one, does it agree with Scripture? I mean, come on. That's, you should have. You, you, you would have known that, right? If I just said, what's number one? Does it agree with Scripture? You all would have known that, of course, before today, and certainly by the number of times I've said it already today. But, but also, does it agree with God's heart for people? Number two, does it build up or help? Is it encouraging, comforting, correcting, and restorative? Can I be clear? Just because something doesn't necessarily feel good doesn't mean it isn't good. I've had plenty of times where my mom would correct me and it didn't feel good, but it was the right thing for her to have said. We've got to get ourselves out of this, like everything that, that God's always going to make me feel good. <laughs> no, God's going to make you better. Even if you have to go through some feelings that aren't so good to get there. So something can sting and also build you up. Don't reject a word just because it didn't make you feel good. Receive a word if it helps you to be more like Jesus. And a third question is, what is the character of the person who gave you the word? In Matthew chapter 7, Jesus tells us to be on our guard against false prophets who come to us in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravaging wolves. He says, a good tree can't produce bad fruit. A bad tree can't produce good fruit. It's the same with the kingdom of heaven. Look at the character of the person giving you the word. 
And if something about their character doesn't look like Jesus, guess what? You don't actually have to receive everything a person says to you as a word from the Lord. You don't even have to listen to it. Now, don't be rude. Be loving. Speak the truth in love. That's your responsibility too. But if a person of good character comes to you with a word, don't lie about their character just because you didn't like the word. Why is all of this important to talk about? Look at the news. Talk to your friends. Go to work. Do life with your neighbors. Think about the questions that people far from God have about Jesus and his church and the word. How could God, how could a good God let such and such happen in the world? How could this be true if God is real? Do you have all the answers? Do you know everything that you need to know to be the hands and the feet and the voice of Jesus in every single situation? The amount of issues that people face and, and pose to people of Jesus today is staggering. We need divine knowledge and wisdom. We are in desperate need for what God would say to the church and through the church. I, I would argue that much of the reason that we are in the situation we are in in the American church is because we have neglected gifts like these. And so we're taking time to talk about this because we need wisdom and we need knowledge. Not the kind we can gain on our own studies, but the kind that comes directly from Jesus. As we close today, I, I want to invite you to pray with me for the church. And then I want to invite you to pray about your own heart as well. Your, the, own, the, the state of your own journey with Jesus and your own giftedness and your own being a gift to those around you in the world. But can we begin by praying for the church? Because I, what I'm aware of is that Paul says in 1 Corinthians 12, not everyone will have every gift. But we need these gifts. The church needs them and the world needs them. Can you just take a moment right where you're sitting? I'll lead us in some points of prayer. But right where you're sitting, can you ask God for this church and for the church in the world? God, release these gifts again to your church in fresh ways. Maybe say thank you to God for the moments where you've seen these gifts expressed. Thank you, God, for the people I know that function in words of wisdom and words of knowledge. Thank you for the gift in life, church, and in your church. But God, would you pour this gift out on even more people? We need these gifts. Build up your church. God, we pray into a church that would be full of divine knowledge and wisdom that goes beyond our ability to understand but that is directly from your heart. We need to know your truth, God. Give us knowledge of truth supernaturally. We believe that in moments where you speak words of knowledge, that those are downloads of truth, and we believe that your word says the truth will set people free. God, we need wisdom for how to respond to all of the issues we are facing. Help your church. Give us words of wisdom that become marching orders, that build up the body of Christ to know how to walk in the light and even in the darkness of the world that we live in. Now I want to invite you to pray for your own life. You might be in this room and, and, and maybe you came to a church service today. Maybe you got invited here for whatever reason and you're sitting here and feeling far from God and I just want you to know that what is ultimately true is that as far as you may feel from God, He loves you, He is for you, and He would draw near to you with His love. And so today if you're sitting in this place or watching online or even watching this later on a recording and you would say, I 
I am far from God. Today could be the day where you make a decision to draw near to him, to become a follower of Jesus. And it's as simple as this. You would just say, Jesus, I believe in my heart and I say out loud with my mouth that you are the son of God. And I commit to live with my life as if that is true because I believe that it is. God, help us to be followers of your way, especially in the world that we live in today. As you're sitting, thinking about your own life and your own heart, if, if you have not invited the Holy Spirit, received the gift of the baptism of the Holy Spirit, there's never been a person who's asked for Jesus to save them and the Holy Spirit to fill them in that order that Jesus didn't say, yep, you get the Holy Spirit. All we do is ask. If you would like to pray with somebody about the baptism of the Holy Spirit today, I uh, want to invite you. There's going to be some people. Uh, in fact, SB, can I ask you after service just to go right there to that prayer wall? Um, thank you. I'm just scanning the room here. Um, Sharon's going to be right back there. Um, if you could go. And then Ron Mooring, can I just ask you to join Sharon right over there as well? Um, just a couple of people that can be there to pray with you. If you have questions, what is this thing about the baptism of the Holy Spirit? I need to receive that. God, we thank you that this is a free gift. The fullness of everything that you are in our lives is a free gift to us. Fill us with your Holy Spirit. And finally, this is the prayer that we will end on today. God, would you help us to be people filled with your spirit and filled with your giftedness and fully functioning as gifts to your church and through your church to the world. For those of us that are given the gifts of words of wisdom and words of knowledge, help us, God, your people, to be your voice, to honor you with what we hear you say. And for those of us who have other gifts, help us to celebrate these gifts and to receive them when they come our way. Help all of us, God, to receive your word. Can you just take one more moment today before we dismiss this service to say thank you to God. Thank you to God for his word, for his love, for the relationship that he's extended out of your own mouth, in your own words, as an expression of your own heart and love for God. Say thank you to him. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, God. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we thank you for revealing yourself to us as a Savior, as a Father who leads and guides and welcomes us into the kingdom, and as the Holy Spirit who fills and empowers us for the work of ministry. We welcome you to have your way in our lives today, this week, and as we go for the rest of our lives. Use us to represent you well, to honor your name, and to lead others into the kingdom. Life Church, may you be blessed. In Jesus' name, amen.